Chesterfield County Jail. Love you guys. Glad to have you with us. You can be seated. Man, what a great day. We're in a series on relationships. I'll tell you a little bit about that in just a second. But I look in the camera and add my good morning to everybody at the chapel in Richmond, Scott's Edition. Pastor Jason and the team there love what God's doing in the heart of our city. And then as always, our people, you're not a project, the men and women in Chesterfield County Jail. We love you. In fact, a whole bunch of our team's coming in in like just a couple weeks. And so we're coming to you. Can't wait to see you guys. We love you. Thankful for what God's doing in the life of our church. And I want to ask you to pray about two things uh, uh, next week. And really the whole series was built on a message that I had on my heart for next weekend which is on the next generation, which is, uh, I believe the generations to come need people that will fight for them, not with them. And uh, I think this generation is facing some things. I'm not saying other generations haven't faced some things, but how many think this generation facing some things? And so next weekend, really, really the message that kind of kicked off in my heart, this whole series. And so you want to be a part of that. And then water baptism, we're going to celebrate those all day long. We still have a couple spots open next weekend. Father's Day, you want to be a part of that. Baptisms, if you've never been a part of baptisms at the chapel, they're the greatest thing there is. And uh, and then let you know our student ministry is rolling on Wednesdays. We had, uh, I think, like over 70 new students, first time ever at students last week. Isn't that incredible? Only the Lord. And, and so if you have a junior high, senior high, young adults tomorrow night, junior high, senior high Wednesday, it's a summer really for the family and for young, young adults, young people. So be, make sure they're a part of that. Well, I'm excited about relationships, the message today, but I'd love to just pray over us today as your pastor. I just, I had a sense that, man, uh, you know, relationships are good, bad, up, down, in between. And I just want to pray for you today. Can I pray for you? Would you bow with me? Scott's edition in the jail here in Midlothian. God, thank you for this amazing people called the chapel. Thank you that their hearts love you. And thank you for their love for one another. And God, this morning, I just pray as a shepherd in this house, God, over your sheep. God, you know what's going on in their lives. You know some of us in great seasons of wins, some of us in challenging But God, would your grace be applied to every relationship, every family, every single person, every situation. God, you're the one that gives us a relationship with Jesus and you're the one that gives us grace for one another. And so, God, I pray this month, just your best upon relationships, that this would be a summer where we would come together and love one another, God. That that, that the world around us would know that we're yours Not because our worship is passionate or our teaching is strong. God, because you said our love for one another. So, Lord, let us be a loving house, a house of love and grace. Bless your people, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Turn to the person next to you and tell them you look good today. Come on, tell them that. You look good today. (laughs) Well... I looked over uh, my notes this last week and I realized I hadn't taught a series on money for, for four and a half years. <laughs> the last series was called Blingonomics. And if you're, that was a bad name, but, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, but you know, I just, uh, as I was thinking about relationships, I read a, st- a statistic that hit me that one of the number one causes of conflict in marriage, in fact, second 
The second cause of separation is money issues. Two-thirds of couples get married in, with struggling with debt, and then, and then you've got people with different vibes. In fact, I've discovered doing premarital counseling that I love, I have this questionnaire people go through, and it, it talks about money, and I love to see the differences because they're kind of like, it'll be fine, but you got lost. I love to have a saver and a spender in the same room. And I'm like, tell me what the next five years look like. And you got the one who's like, well, we're going to max out our 401k. And, and the other one's like, huh? I thought we were going to buy shoes. You know what I mean? <laughs> you got the one who says, I'm generous. That means they spend it all. The one that says they're wise, that means they're cheap. Come on, somebody. And I usually tell them, hey, I'll see you in about a year when this is no longer cute and you're fighting about it. So I'll be at the same place. <laughs> And I think, I think money affects our life in so many different ways. And so, in fact, you know this, this is amazing to me that Jesus talked about money twice as much as he talked about heaven and hell. Because, because it affects our life, it affects our practical life, it affects our up and down. In fact, I, I don't know if any of you ever watch murders on Saturday night after I've done preparing for my sermon. I usually watch 48 hours, watch somebody get murdered. Come on, somebody. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Let me give you some marriage advice. If your spouse ups your life insurance to 3.5 million, don't be walking down the stairs in front of them. I'm telling you, because they'll be, whew, I just want to be worth a little more to my wife alive than dead. And so that's kind of my wisdom. And so, but money, you know, money, it's just conflict and life and struggles. Jesus talks about money because he, he, he teaches, his teachings live where we live. In fact, it's amazing to me that 16 out of the 38 parables that Jesus teaches has to do with our possessions and our money. And so he doesn't run away from this topic. He doesn't just talk about, you know, the Bible and prayer and spiritual things. He says, your money, your money, that there's a nerve connected from your heart. I don't know if you know this, all the way to your wallet. And literally, Jesus is the one. I mean, the Bible's just full of teaching, over 500 verses about prayer and faith, but over 2,000 about money and possessions. Look at this. This will blow you away. Words in the Bible, believe 272, pray 370, love 700, give over 2,000. I mean, the Bible talks about stuff and money. And so I've been convinced as a pastor that I need to just once or twice a year touch on money, okay? So that's where you are today. Amen. If you don't like this message next week, come back, okay? You'll like that one. But, but I, I just think the Bible gives... Here, I don't want anything from you today. I want something for you because the Bible literally says the world of the generous gets larger and larger, but the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. And I actually believe when you read the Bible, it's amazing. When God calls people to give, he never tells them as much about what their giving's going to do for other people as he tells them what their giving's going to do for them. I don't know if you know this, when we give to others, it does something for us, right? I remember as a kid, my parents would say, on Christmas, my favorite time of Christmas is to give gifts to you rather than to get gifts from you. And I always thought, we agree on that, you know? <laughs> I never understood that. And then I had kids and I realized I don't, I don't even want their crummy gifts, you know what I mean? I'm probably just going to return them, you know? There's something about seeing, how I many know there's, there's something about giving somebody a big tip, you know? Uh, and there's something about blessing, something about being a part of encouraging other people. And Jesus talks about money. In fact, Jesus tells us this nerve between our heart and our wallet is he's real clear on it. For wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now think of this. He doesn't say where your heart is, your treasure will be. He actually says where your treasure is, your heart will follow. 
That means that wherever we send our resources, that's where we get a connection to our heart in our resources. In fact, Billy Graham, the great evangelist, said if a person gets their attitude towards money straight, it will straighten out almost every other area of their life. And so we can't ignore the reality of life. We can't deny it. And I was thinking a couple months ago when I laid out this series, I thought, I can't believe I'm preaching on money. I was filling my gas tank up yesterday like, oh, I should change the sermon. <laughs> Ain't nobody want to hear this right now. And, and in fact, my daughter just started driving herself. And we decided when she drives her situation, she pays for her gas. So she started telling me how expensive gas is. She used to joyride in my car, and I'd be like, where are you? I'm doing the Life 360 thing, not to make sure she's safe, to see how much gas she's spending. Come on. And we live in a world that's crazy, and it's up and down, but the Bible has so much to say about money and, and, and getting our money attitude straight, how it strengthens every other area of our life. In fact, Jesus warns us that, that money can be a, literally a block in our relationship with God. He says, no one can serve two masters, for either he'll hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. The word mammon is, we don't even have an English word for mammon. It's a transliteration of a Syrian and Babylonian word. The Syrian god of riches, his name was Mamone, and, and he lit, in Babylon, it was, it was literally thought of as the, the author of confusion or sowed in confusion, and it's this idea of the god of riches sowing confusion, and, and when Jesus uses a word, that's why we transliterate it that way, meaning we don't actually create an English word, we just create mammon, and it was built upon this idea of a, a Syrian god and a Babylonian god. And when you read those cultures, they, they were driven by the desire to build wealth and riches. And literally, it means the God of confusion. I don't know about you. I think there's a lot of confusion in the world about money. Come on. In fact, I, I think there used to be generations that realized you had to save to get to a certain point. And then people think, I think in this generation, I should get married. I'm in my first year. I should get my parents' third house for my first house. How many know that's not how it works? This is good preaching. And, 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 and there's confusion about what, what will bring happiness and significance and meaning. In fact, there's a study called The Day America Told the Truth that asked this question. Literally, what would you be willing to do for $10 million? 25% of Americans said they would abandon their entire family for $10 million. 16% said they would give up their American citizenship for $10 million. Look at this one. 10% said they would withhold testimony, letting a murderer go free. Some of you are like, how bad was it? You know what I mean? Look at this one. Look at this one. 3% would put their children up for adoption. Some of you are like, less than 10 million, you know? I think our culture's confused about money and and, and in fact, you know, in the first pages of scripture, the, the enemy comes to the woman and he asks this question, did God really say? And he lays out a lie and makes God's word seem, seem bad and the world's culture seem good. And I think that's what the world is doing right now. It's telling some lies about money and riches and fame. If you can accomplish this or buy this or hit this status or achieve this, then you'll find happiness and fulfillment. In fact, there's a whole book of the Bible, if you ever have time to read it, called Ecclesiastes, where 
where Solomon tells the whole story of pursuing joy in, in knowledge and wealth and wisdom and relationships. And at the end of it all, he says it's all meaningless. Meaning, nothing, how many know nothing can satisfy the brokenness of the human soul except a relationship with God? And I don't, I don't know if you know this, there are rich people that are miserable and poor people that are miserable. And, and I, I don't know if you know this, there are rich people that are greedy and there are poor people that are greedy. And, and, and there are people that are chasing, the culture's kind of told us to chase this certain level of success. And, and the enemy's come and told us some lies. And I want to share with you, I think the three biggest, there are three of the biggest lies that he tells us about money that are just absolutely not true. So just jot these down. Things that the enemy's lying to us about, saying about money, that, that just aren't true. And he, here's the first one. Maybe, maybe you disagree, but having more money will make me more secure. How many know there is no such thing in life as true financial security, right? In fact, uh, Steve Jobs at the end of his life after building that great company, Apple, and having unlimited wealth, as his body's racked with sickness, how many know his money didn't mean anything, nothing? And in the end, the truth is money cannot provide security for our souls. Money, money cannot, I mean, there are marginal things money can do in our life, but ultimately we, we cannot uh, find security in money. In fact, Proverbs warns against this. The wealth of the rich is a fortified city. Look at this. They imagine, they imagine that their wealth is like a wall that's too high for anyone to come up. I love the word imagine, <laughs> Because here's what they're doing. They're assuming that somehow if they can stockpile enough stuff, it can insulate them against, against any problem in the world around them. And, the, and he says that's what, the, that's what the culture's telling us. That if we just had a little more, we hit a certain number or a certain thing, then we're going to have all the security we need. Well, I want you to know money cannot offer us security. The only one who can offer us security is a relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ, his son, right? That's the only eternal security we have is not in our, in our 401k or, or whether or not our, we, we locked in a good interest rate. And I'm all for margin and planning. I'm not against any of that. I'm just saying we need not put our, our trust in money. In fact, the Bible warns us against this. Keep your life, come on somebody, help me out, free from the what? Love of money. And be content. What a str This is not a popular sermon. Y'all ought to be content. We ought to be content. How many just have too much stuff? Come on. I, I got to just vent for a second. What's with all the storage places? All right, let's move on. And uh, you have no idea the amount of restraint I'm showing right now. And be content with whatever you have. Because here's, how can I keep my life free from the love of money? How can I be content with what I have? Because he gives us the answer. Because you have God. He says, never will I leave you. Never. The reason you and I can be content with what we have and secure in what we have is because we have a God who does not leave us. He doesn't go up and down. He doesn't go back and forth. He never disappoints. The projections on his return are always secure. And, and that's the hope that the writer of Hebrews says. In fact, I thought that especially, I was almost going to shift the message. And I was like, no, you got to preach on money in the middle of a money fearing time. Because we have a God who says, don't put our trust in those kind of things. 
Put your trust in me. He says, if you don't love money and you're content with what you have, God's going to be with you. Look at this. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. This verse is for somebody today. I will not be afraid. I'm pulling up to the gas tank. Hey, hey y'all, I preached in New York two weeks ago. Here's what happens when you drive north. The gas prices, I thought I was going to buy a house. I was like, I'm just going to trade my car in, you know. I was like, does that say seven something? Seven, seven what? Do I get, what's thrown in with this gas? Like a free TV? You know what I mean? Like, but how do, you, how do you not have fear in a season like this? Because our confidence and our trust is not in our stuff, but in the Lord. The Lord provides for his people. God is strong tower that can be trusted. And we need to be reminded. I'm not saying don't plan. I'm not saying don't be wise. How many believe in a little bit of margin, right? Murphy's Law. Your car will break down eventually. Like I'm not saying don't be wise. and Don't save and don't plan for the future. I'm just saying there's a danger when we start to think we can control our future rather than put our future in the hands of God. And the writer of Hebrews says, don't do that because you'll chase after some things to try to find some security and realize in the end it can't secure you, only God can. So I don't find my security in wealth, I find my security in the Lord, amen. Here's the second lie, I want you to see it because I think this is a big one today and that is the things I own define who I am, right? So the, the, the logo on my shirt or the car I drive or the vibe of what I'm, like, like the things I own define who I am. And this is just absolutely not true. In fact, Jesus warned against us being defined by our stuff when he said, Luke 12, 15, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Look at this. For life is not measured by how much you own. He says, your life is not defined by how much stuff you have. And man, we could preach this all day. How many know Americans have a lot of stuff? How many would admit that over half the stuff in your closet you don't wear anymore? Come on, raise your hand. Amen. We'll pray for you after, right? Like, you're like, man, I, I don't even know if I want to get rid of that. I don't even know where I got that. I got shirts in my closet that have tags on them. And I think, how did, how did that even get here? You know? And, and the truth is in our world that we have to be careful that we don't let our stuff define who we are. In fact, Ecclesiastes warns against the wrong attitude. Those who love money will never have enough. You know what I've never heard anybody say? I really don't need any more money. Ugh. Pray for me, Pastor Why I am sick of how much money I have. Tired of it. Would you just pray this year that none of it would come my way? If that's you this weekend, I would love to hang out with you this week. Right? <laughs> be the first person I ever met, right? Ecclesiastes says, hey, be careful. Those who love money will never have enough. And then he gives this statement. How absurd to think that wealth brings true happiness. How absurd to think that wealth. How many know the best things in life you can't buy? Relationships. How absurd to think that wealth brings true happiness. You say, Pastor, where does true happiness come from? Paul answers it in Romans chapter 4. Happy are those whose sins are forgiven, whose wrongs are pardoned. Happy is the person whom the Lord does not consider. Hey, hey, the people that are happy aren't the people who have money. The people that are happy are the people who know their sins have been forgiven by a gracious God. Come on, let's thank God for that today. Come on. Yeah, like thankful for that. 
But God has taken care of us. He, he, he's given us hope and comfort. I remember the first time in my life as a grown adult that God really taught me that he could take care of me when it came to money. Katie and I were married and we were moving from, uh, from the Northeast to Alabama to go to seminary. And, and I was going to go to seminary and she was going to work to help put me through school. And she didn't have any a job as we were moving there. But I thought we were fine because we had $1,200 in the bank. I was like, we're great. We are loaded, you know. And then I realized when you get a, a, an apartment, they want like a security deposit. And I was like, what do you mean a security deposit? Like, and I was like, huh? And all of a sudden I'm looking at 200 bucks in the account. She has no job. And, and we're trying to get uh, groceries at a, at a Piggly Wiggly next door. Come on, somebody. I'm like, I am in hell right now. Piggly Wiggly. What is this? Two weeks, she couldn't find a job. Somebody sent us a little bit of money to get us through. And all of a sudden, somebody called us from upstate New York and said, I think I have a job. And I said, well, we live in Alabama, so that's not going to work. And they said, no, I think I've heard of a job in Birmingham, Alabama. And long story short, there was a Presbyterian church about less than a mile from the seminary I went to, Beeson Divinity School. And so, so my wife was going to work as an admin at a Presbyterian church. And well, I grew up charismatic, but I said I'd rather her work for the Presbyterians because they, they pay better and have like health insurance. So, <laughs> so are you a Presbyterian? <laughs> Little. So she interviews and gets a job. It was amazing. It was a miracle. Here's why. It's not only less than a mile away from the seminary, but we only had one car. We had a maroon Saturn. Remember Saturns? These are cars so bad they don't even make them anymore, okay? <laughs> I said, we can't afford two cars. How's it going to work for me to go to seminary every day for you to go before she had a job and you to work? Turns out she gets a job 0.7 miles. If you ever go to Beeson Divinity School in Birmingham, Alabama, you, you can prove this true, that every day at the end of class, I could walk to the to the church where she worked at. And not only that, it's not a lie, Lakeshore Drive in Birmingham, Alabama, there is a walkway, a path alongside Lakeshore Drive that, that connects the, the seminary all the way to the street where you turn right to go to Covenant Presbyterian Church. And not only is there a walkway, it's next to a, a babbling brook and it's shaded. And I literally remember walking down the road thinking we have one car we couldn't afford a second car. There's a pathway here. It's shaded. I'm not even getting an Alabama sunburn. And the, and the water's flowing. And for three years, I walked that path every day. And you know what? You might say, Pastor, some developer built that years ago. Maybe that's what you believe. For me, I believe that the God of the universe knew I had one car. And he gave me not only a road, but some calm streams. And, and every day I walk back and forth being reminded that our, how many know our God provides for his people? He just flat out does. Flat out does. So wealth doesn't bring us security, and I'm not defined by, 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 what I, uh, by what I own. Here's the third one. You might not like this one. So tell the person next to you, turn them and tell them, get ready, because here's where I'm going to step on your toes for just a second. Here's a third lie I think we believe, that my stuff belongs to me. Okay, so here's what the Bible says. Everything we own belongs to God. 
In fact, the Bible says even the ability to get wealth is a gift of God. 1 Corinthians 4, 5 says, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, why do you boast as though you did not? Your, your intellect, your skill, you say, no, pastor, I have a job, I have a business. Okay, that's fine. But the intellect, the health, the strength, the, the four beats, in, the four chambers of your heart that are beating around. How many know every good and perfect gift comes from God, right? He owns it all, and so he, he owns it all, and we bought into the lie that I own all my stuff. I want you to imagine that you let me borrow your car, or, or I let you borrow my car this weekend, and you had friends in from out of town, and at the end of the weekend, you came back to me, and you said, Pastor, thank you for letting me uh, uh, have the car. I have a gift for you, and then you hold out the keys to my car, and you hand them to me. You say, it's just a gift from me to you. I would say, you can't give me a gift of something that I already own. And I think that's what we don't realize. Everything we have belongs to God. Hey, the Bible uses the word steward, manager. It simply means this. My, my kids don't belong to me. My job. To, hey, this church, I'm acutely aware. This is not my church. This is God. Everything we have belongs to God. Right? It just does. And when we see ourselves as stewards or managers, it changes the way we handle stuff. Because it's not our stuff. It's his stuff. You don't believe me? Look at this verse, 1 Chronicles chapter 29. Praise be to you, Lord, the God and Father of Israel. From everlasting to everlasting, yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and on earth is whose? Yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. How many know everything belongs to God, right? Everything belongs to God. I heard a story um, of a couple, and probably every couple's asked this question. It's kind of a morbid one, but... Um, Baby, if I die, are you going to remarry? Okay, that's probably a question everybody asks. I heard a story about a couple from Alabama that asked that question. And he said to his wife, uh, sweetheart, if I die, are you going to remarry? And she said, oh, I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to talk about that. And he said, well, no, I'm just asking. It's fine to say, are you going to remarry? And she said, okay, I don't want to talk about that, but that's fine. I'd probably remarry. And he said, well, I have a question for you. Are you going to keep the house? Are you going to sell the house? Is he going to live in this house? And she said, oh, I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> I don't want to talk about that. But he said, no, it's fine. And she said, well, we probably know you selling the house, so he'll, he'll live in the house. And he, she said, he said, okay. He said, well, I got a question. Is he going to, like, my bed? Is he going to sleep in my bed? She said, oh, I don't want to talk about that. I don't, he said, no, I just want to know. She said, well, then no you selling the bed. And, and he said, well, is he going, what about my truck? Are you going to use my truck? She said, oh, I don't want to talk about your truck. I don't want to talk about that. And she said, no, is he going to use it? She said, well, no, you're selling your truck. He'll probably use your truck. He said, all right, last question, my golf clubs. Is he going to use my golf clubs? And she said, no, baby, he's left-handed. Isn't that good preaching? All right, that was for free. But here's the point. We don't own anything. Everything belongs to God, okay? All right, let's move on. Here we go. I want to just share with you one principle, and then I'm going to close this weekend. One principle, and it's a principle that we really believe around the chapel. And so if you're new here, this principle, I think, would help you. And it, it, and it is that everything in our life, the law of first matters, the law of first. So in the beginning, the Bible says, in the beginning, what? 
God. So let me tell you how we do this as a church. And every, you'll, every year, in fact, you'll notice it. Every year in August, when we're getting ready to kind of start the fall, we, we pray first. Come on, somebody say pray Every year in January, before we launch up small groups or get ministries going, we have another pr- first part of the year, prayer and fasting. We pray what? We pray for. In fact, you know, every week, the first week of the month, we think is holy to the Lord. And so on the first Wednesday, when do we meet? On the what? On the fir- in the beginning. On the- in fact, you know, can you believe this? The first day of the week you're in church, right? I think there's something about the law of first in the Bible. I think there's something about at least spending some time with God in the morning. There's a law of first. Well, with money, there, there's a law of first in the Bible. And here's what it teaches, that the first of, our, of what God gives us belongs to him. Let me show you it. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the, come on, help me out, with the what? First fruits of all your crops. And he says, here's what's going to happen. When you take care of the first, your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Now, let me tell you why this is crazy, because in an agricultural society for farmers, they don't know every year what their crops are going to be. So they plant them, but you don't know. You don't know what's going to come up. And so imagine God tells farmers who are waiting all year on their crops, instead of having a bunch of them grow and then setting them aside, and if you have a good, you have a good amount, well, then you give something to God. He gives them the ultimate test. He says the first ones that pop up, I want you to give the first to me. And and there's literally this principle in our giving. I actually really believe this, that when we take our first 10%, the tithe, when we honor God with the first, that God has a way of taking care of the rest. Come on, just say this with me. The first, what? The first blesses the rest. I 100% believe this. I grew up in a family with my grandfather that God set his hand on his business. And whenever you'd ask my grandfather how, how God did what he did in his construction company, he would say, I promise God that whatever he set his hand on, I'd honor him with the first. And he always did the first. And I was thinking this weekend, uh, what does that look like? And I heard a pastor do this picture that when I saw him lay it out, it really hit me. And so uh, of the first, it hit me of like in the Bible times, how it feel for farmers. And so I want you to imagine with me this weekend that this is, um, okay, there are two tables. That this is our table, okay? And this is God's table, okay? So, so come on, this is what? This is our table and this is God's table. Okay, so imagine you're a farmer, okay, and you plant some watermelon. Come on, come on, watermelon people are going to come out and help me. Come on, the first, come on, the first watermelon, come on, goes on who? Goes on God's table, okay? God, God gets the first watermelon, but then guess what happens? That's, that's what? That's, come on, that's your table, right? You get to keep, don't, don't. We're going to have the Gallagher show if they spill and eat some watermelon after church. So, so first, first watermelon. Then imagine pineapple. So good. Come on, somebody. Pineapple. Pineapple. Isn't that delicious? I think my, my first uh, argument my wife and I had when we bought our new house was we had pineapple wallpaper, and I wanted to keep it and have every guest sign a pineapple. She made me tear it down, and we, I think that was a great idea. So first... first pineapple goes to the Lord. This is God's table. Come on, now we got cantaloupe. Amazing. How many love cantaloupe? Come on. Uh, I lo- yeah. A cantaloupe. And so the first cantaloupe goes to, nope, the first cantaloupe 
goes to the Lord. But then guess how many cantaloupe you get to keep? Come on, nine cantaloupe go on your table. So that's a blessing. Come on, lettuce, lettuce. You know where this goes? Right in the trash. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, come on, the first lettuce, the first lettuce goes to the Lord. And, and, and then you get nine lettuces. I mean, you get all the lettuces, lettuce, lettuce, lettuces you can want. So this is the Lord's table, and this is our table. We get, what is this? This is uh, eggplant. Eggplant. <laughs> eggplant. So the first eggplant goes to the Lord. I'm kind of OCD, so I'm going to try to balance this. Doesn't this look good? The Lord's eggplant. The red... It's fine. It's just yours. Come on, broccoli. Come on, where are the organic people? You're going to live a year later in life miserably. And uh, so, so first, the first, the first, uh, first broccoli goes to the Lord. And then you can eat nine. I feel like the Lord is like, you know what? With this one, I'm good. No, I'm just kidding. Oranges. Come on, oranges. Who, who doesn't love an orange? First one goes to the Lord. And then the other 10, the other nine, the other nine go to, to us. God lets us keep an apple. Come on, first apple. This is God's table. First apple goes to God. And then the next, the next nine apples go to us. He lets us keep nine apples. And that's so good. This is, you told me in the last service, this is, you know what this is? Squash. Just making sure you knew. And uh, so squash, the Lord takes the first the first um, of it, but then the, the, he lets you keep nine squash. I mean, nine squash. How great is that? Come on, what do we got here? This is a mango. Who loves mango? Mango. So the first mango goes to God's, goes to, to the Lord, and then he lets you keep nine mangoes. I mean, nine mangoes. You can have a mango a day, keeps the doctor away. Then this is kiwi. Come on. Kiwi. And so the, the Lord wants just the first of the kiwi, and then you let you keep nine kiwi. Oh, green, on, green, not onion, green pepper. Yeah, green pepper. They're delicious. And so the Lord wants the first of the green pepper, but then he's letting you keep nine. I mean, you know what you can put? Pe peppers make, aren't peppers, they just mm, pepper it up. Is that all we got? Come on, give them a hand for helping us today, right? Here's, here's all I'm trying to say. Sometimes what we do is God, how much does God own? God owns it all. Come on, say it with me. God owns it. Let me ask you a question. What do we do when God owns it all and he lets us keep so much of it? But we look at this and we say, I can't believe. Here's what I think a lot of Christians do. If you don't like this sermon, come back next week. We won't talk about this. I can't believe he's making me. I can't believe God is asking for all that. I can't believe it. Does that seem fair to you? Look at that over there. Look how greedy God is. He's asking for all. God wants the first of 10. I can't even believe God would want that for me. How many see the irony of it, right? When he owns it all and he says, trust me with the first. And we say, I can't. I can't prove it. I can only just say that in my life, in our church, in my family growing up, the first blesses the rest. I'm telling you when you do when you put God first, he has ways of doing other things for you that would just amaze you. 
How many know you can never outgive God? Because here's what he's teaching us, generosity. You say, why would God teach us generosity? Because you know, at the very heart of God is generosity. You can't love and serve God the Father and Jesus and get close to him without seeing the generosity of God. You say, how do you see generosity of God, Pastor? Well, when God sees the problem of the broken world, he doesn't send an angel. He doesn't send a prophet. He doesn't send a king. Literally, when God decides to save the world, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God gave his best, his son. He's a generous God. How many grateful he gave his son, right? His son. Because of that, you get close to God. You know? Hey, I'm not asking for anything f- from you today. I want something for you. I'm not asking anything from you. I'm asking something for you. I'm reading in scripture over and over again. God tells the people to be generous. And he never tells them what the generosity is much. He doesn't focus on what it's going to do out there. He focuses on it's going to make you larger and larger. It's going to, it's going to increase your capacity. It's going to, I believe God can't get uh, to you what you won't get through you. There's expanding levels of generosity. I mean, just expanding levels of generosity. In fact, I'll tell him because he's in the later service. My, my, my one son started giving two months ago and we got the email that his bank, his check card bounced, you know, last month. And so I said, hey, buddy, I saw your, your giving bounced. And he said, okay. And then I saw he went back through and this month made up for last. I'm just telling you as a parent, listen, he doesn't give much, I'm telling you. It's, but, but I'm telling you, there's something about seeing him at 16 years of age just say, okay, dad, how do I do this thing called life? And I say, here's what, and he says, that's not going to make a difference to church. No, it's not going to make a difference to church, but it's going to make a difference to you because you're going to learn to trust God with the first and you're going to see God show up in your life and it's going to transform your future. When you get this money thing figured out, God's going to set his hand. And so here's all I'm saying today. Let's not fall for the lies of the culture, which says if we chase money, it'll provide us security, only security can be found in Jesus Christ in a relationship with him. And if you don't know that today, I'm just telling you, God gave his best, his first and best, his only son, that whoever believes in him might not perish, but have everlasting life. I'm going to pray for us, and I'm going to turn it over to, uh, to Scott's edition today. Jesus, thank you for this amazing church family, and thank you that you died and rose again. Thank you, God the Father, that you gave God the Son. And so now, Jesus, we're looking in your word, and we want to become generous ourselves. We want to honor you with the first, oh God. We know the first, first of our day, first of our month, first day of our week, first of our income. God, we're going to be a people who live by the law of the first. We're going to put you number one, and we trust you, God. God, I pray for every need represented in this room and in the chapel in Richmond. God, every family that things are tight, oh God, would you be a provider? Would you show up in ways that are unexplainable? God, would you give raises and provision and, and, and wisdom and all? God, would you just show yourself as the one who owns a cattle on a thousand hills and who said, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, that you own it all. And so today we just recognize you as first and most and best. Help us to think of our stuff, God, as yours. It's all yours. Come on, just tell them that it's all yours. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to turn the service over to the chapel in Richmond.